7.42. Now, you may have come across some of the recent headlines suggesting that China's plastic waste ban will leave 111 million tonnes of trash without any real solution to dealing with that. Uh, as much as 40% of plastic waste enters the ocean, ocean rather each year, according to a study by Dr. Jenna Jambek, published in the journal Science in 2015. And Dr. Jambek is an associate professor at the College of Engineering at the University of Georgia, which um, recently was involved in this study assessing the impact of China's plastic import ban. And we want to discuss that among related matters this morning with Dr. Jambek, who joins us on the line. And thank you for doing so. Yeah, good morning to everybody there. And and your work in 2015, or what was published in 2015, gives us the backdrop here, really clarifying the, the scale of, of these many millions of tonnes of plastic entering the ocean every year. How serious has that continued to be, do you think? Um, well, you know, I think when you think about our estimate of 8 million metric tons of plastic um, entering the oceans every year, that's equal to about a dump truck of plastic a minute. Um, and there have been some actions taken, but I think, you know, that it remains a serious issue at this time. And you said scientists still don't know where more than 99% of ocean plastic debris ends up. What, what sort of impact are we aware of, though, at the moment in the ecosystem? Because there have been a number of major news reports on birds picking up plastic, feeding it to their young, even plastic getting into our water supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we hear mostly about sort of the ingestion and the entanglement um, you know, we've heard about the, the whale that had um, the plastic bags in its belly, and certainly those, those are impacts that we, that we know that it's having, um, but we don't know where all of it is going, and especially the microplastic, which is uh, sort of very hard to see, but we know that some of that is ending up in, in our water and, and some of our sea life as well. So with uh, higher income countries, developed nations exporting plastic waste, um, 70% in 2016 to lower income countries in East Asia and the Pacific, what they've been doing effectively is using that to make plastic products. But China was the major player there. Um, Mm -hmm. Has that just been the convenient solution, but, but ultimately a kind of short term solution? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's there's sort of a variety of reasons and really with China being sort of a manufacturing uh, powerhouse of the globe, um, needing this material and other countries um, either preserving um, their capacity. Um, so China was able to take material that we couldn't process, uh, for example, in the U.S. domestically and recycle there. Um, as well as, I think, the expense. It was sort of an economic um, positive for both parties involved at that point in time, but not necessarily the best for the environment. But why did China decide to stop bringing in plastic waste? I think it's uh, a couple reasons. One is that they have enough material now domestically to feed some of what they need, and then also... Um, I think they found it because of some of the environmental impacts from trying to process this material. If there's a lot of um, residual, meaning stuff that they can't use, and they have to try to dispose of that domestically, and that has um, become challenging to them. And so I think um, for several reasons, they, they also still need more material, but they're seeing it maybe processed somewhere else. And, and is that understandable? Whilst 
China's decision to end importing plastic waste causes a, a global problem because it had been importing you know, nearly half of all plastic waste since the early 90s. Is it also justifiable on their part? I mean, they, they have no moral responsibility, do they, to, uh, to take on the world's trash? No, no, you're you're absolutely right. No, they they absolutely don't. So I think um, certainly that's a, a decision that they can make. And I think for us really to see the kind of material that we have been generating, um, so our 111 million metric tons is sort of the capacity that China was taking uh, projected through 2030. Um, so I think it can sort of give us the the incentive to try to look at the the waste and the plastics that we're generating for recycling and look at redesigning products and thinking about other materials so that we can actually process materials more domestically or in a more environmentally sound way. Can other countries like Malaysia, Thailand, Taiwan, where we're already seeing a rapid increase in plastic imports, take on some of the burden? Or, or is it just impossible for any group of other countries to, to make up for that? It, uh, they, they really don't have the same capacity that China had, but I mean, of course, they can take on some. And, and as you said, we have seen sort of increases, um, in other countries in the region. Um, but it, it, they certainly can't take up all of the capacity. Let, At least with the current infrastructure, yeah, as it is. Right. I mean, when we talk about infrastructure as well, there's also the waste disposal infrastructure. Uh, and, Right. It looks like there are a couple of main options, burning plastic or sticking it in landfills, neither of which are particularly pleasing options. Right. Yeah. So that's why we want to think about if we are using it to be a bit more thoughtful about, you know, how and where we use it and then trying to design things that are advantageous uh, to recycle because the burning and landfilling is, is not what we'd like to see. We'd like to get closer to this. Uh, circular materials management or circular economic system, which does include recycling, but in a in a bit more, uh, I guess, um, strategic way. And when I read it, experts giving advice on this, often the, the, the final point is all of us as individuals have to get together and not think, well, I, I can't make the difference, but to, to sort of have the mindset that if millions of us do this together, we can make a difference by just stopping the widespread use of single-use plastics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a, a large portion of what we see created, right? So 40% of what we produce and much of what we saw exported, nearly 90% of what was exported is all this single use. So you're absolutely right. Reduction can be the key from the start and we can all make a difference. You know, I think even before I started some of this research, I felt like, oh, my one choice doesn't really matter this one day, but then taken collectively or those single choices over time actually do make a difference. And the research shows that. Does it also kick the problem along, though, if, for example, we start using paper straws in abundance and other paper products instead of plastic where possible? Does that then suddenly bring us back to the catastrophic effects of chopping down rainforests and and other implications of, of paper waste? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, you know, one reason plastic has been used um, 
so so much because it's it's fairly you know we're making chemicals with the same kind of uh, feedstocks that we're making plastics with, and so they've been sort of environmentally favorable from the production side, but it's the management side that's been challenging. So any of these choices where we're looking at substituting materials, um, we do sort of need to take a holistic approach and think about those other sort of unintended consequences of switching materials. But reduction, honestly, is a great way to start so that you um, any kind of waste produced, if, it, if we don't produce it in the first place, then it, that takes some of the burden away. Yeah, well, certainly one of the easiest ways all of us can can think about this is is how we consume liquids on a daily basis, whether that be paper, plastic cups, or indeed uh, the straws that often are offered and are not necessarily even needed in the first place. And and you visited Busan last month, didn't you, to deliver a keynote speech in the educational session on marine waste management held by APEC, the Asia Pacific Economic Co- Corporation. Are you hopeful about? the direction we're moving in after attending events of that nature? Yes. Um, you know, I, yeah, I had the great pleasure to be able to to be there in country and to give this address. And yeah, for sure, I mean, all of the country, uh, LB economies represented there um, were very interested and wanting to learn more about this issue, figure out what they can do. And certainly all of these, um, you know, bordering the Pacific Ocean are are key to this. And so I am very optimistic and hopeful that these kind of regional um, initiatives will help with this issue. But while you were here in Korea, did you notice anything in the daily lifestyle at all? A, a little glimpse of, of the approach towards single-use plastics? For example, did you have a chance to visit a convenience store and, or, or a cafe and witness how that attitude is, is borne out? Yeah, um, I, I would say what, what I learned is that, you know, there actually is a fairly good per person waste generation rate there, meaning it's, it's fairly low. It's, um, you, you know, very technologically advanced. And for that, um, they've sort of been able to decouple this waste generation. But certainly, I still saw the same type of single use packaging um, that we do often see. And, and I think, a lot of coffee shops, I feel like, and coffee shops often lend themselves to the disposable cup and, and straw situation when it was hot, for sure. So I think there are definitely still some positive changes that can be made. Yeah. And for example, the people working in coffee shops can be instructed, can't they, to to make it absolutely clear that the person wants a paper cup, to make to, to give that option of a, of a mug-style cup, um, which just doesn't happen, actually, on a widespread basis. But... But that would make a huge difference, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the reusable uh, cups that you can bring in, just making sure that people can do that, and then um, you know, people remembering to do that is is a great way to do this. I mean, I leave my house every day with my water bottle filled up, and I just remember to do that every single morning, and um, you know, and then I can fill up again at work or somewhere else, and that just really is helpful over time. Makes a big difference. Can you also tell us a bit more about your Marine Debris Tracker app, which you co-developed with Professor Kyle Johnson, for anyone who wants to continue to check out your work and and see how that uh, is developing globally? Yeah, I would love to. So certainly, even when we make some of these choices, sometimes litter ends up on the ground. And so if you use the app Marine Debris Tracker, available either on Apple or Android, um, free 
you can basically report what you see, um, and hopefully people are picking up this litter, and it, it can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be in an organized cleanup. It doesn't have to be on the beach. Um, we have some of our biggest trackers inland in the U.S. and other countries. Um, so not only can you make some of these other choices, you could actually pick up litter that you know will definitely mean it doesn't get to the ocean, manage it properly, and then tell us about it. We have over 1.2 million items that have been reported through the app. Um, and then we look and see what is being found and where it's distributed around the world. Well, thank you so much for hopefully helping to inspire us this morning, Dr. Jambek. Thank you so much for having me.